Top three things on today's Cigar Dave show. A 105-year-old woman gives the secret to a long life. The Snack SS is coming to a school near you, and Cracker Jack goes woke. The Cigar Dave Show is presented by Davidoff of Geneva and their Avo portfolio of cigars, including the Avo Heritage. Crafted through centuries of traditions, Avo Heritage was developed for the cigar connoisseur seeking a fuller-bodied cigar with strength, complexity, and impeccable smoothness. Savor every note of the spice-laden Avo Heritage. Available at DavidoffGeneva.com and by Gurkha. The world's finest cigars, including the new Gurkha Revenant, the five-country fusion of exceptionally aged tobaccos will immediately jumpstart your senses for a cigar journey that only Gurkha may deliver. Offered in both Corojo and Maduro presentations. Fire up a new Gurkha Revenant today. Visit GurkhaCigars.com. This is the Cigar Dave Podcast with The General. I always love to start the show on a positive, happy note. Believe me, we have so many. I sound like President Trump. Believe me, there are so many negative news items. All you need to do is turn on the news for three minutes. Forget three minutes, three seconds. Inflation, the border, Ukraine, goes on and on. But whenever I have the opportunity to begin the show with a happy development, a happy story, that is where I will always go because we love celebrating pleasure. And as alphas, we do not apologize for enjoying the alpha male lifestyle. That is what our weekly conversation is all about, gathering together, enjoying alpha male pleasure maneuvers. Long-ash greetings and salutations, a long-ash snappy salute, semper delictatio, always pleasure. Long live the Alpha. Make masculinity great again. Screw the enemies of pleasure. Save America. It is your global five-star general and alpha male in global alpha male in chief. Front and center from Command Center Alpha, Humidor 1A in the Cigar City. A Tampa woman celebrated her 105th birthday this week. Dixonia Hale hit 105. And of course, every reporter. Every member of the media, the first question they're going to ask her, what is the secret to a long life, to longevity, 105 years? Love her answer. She said very succinctly, a good cocktail. I have a martini at 4 o'clock every afternoon. I don't know that that's my medication. I take no medication. Talk about amazing. 105 and takes no medication. Her elixir. For medicinal purposes, is a 4 o'clock daily martini. We could all learn from that. Think about this for a second. We are living stressful lives. We're busy. We've got cell phones. We've got our computer. We've got email. We're surrounded by technology. It is wonderful to just shift gears, relax, and go to two of the most low-tech items known to mankind that deliver the most amount of pleasure, or amongst the most amount of pleasure to mankind. A cigar and a spirit. Low-tech. The method cigars have been, and cigar tobacco has been grown, aged, fermented, rolled. That hasn't changed for hundreds of years. Spirits the exact same way, whether it's wine, 
whether it's bourbon, whether it is gin, whether it's whiskey, nothing changes. It is a process that cannot be rushed by the hands of time. Low-tech items. And yet, we derive tremendous pleasure. So a very happy birthday, Dixonia Hale of the Cigar City of Tampa, 105 years of age. The Snack SS is coming to a school near you. This comes to us from Aliquippa School District in the People's Republic of Pennsylvania. Now, for those of you that may not know what the SS stands for, the SS was the Nazi intelligence central security policing arm that, uh, that Hitler created. It stands, SS stands for Schutzstaffel, the Nazi Stutzstaffel, the SS. They're the ones that would break into homes, gather intelligence, spy on other people, have you spy on neighbors, central security. They were, as President Trump would say, bad hombres. All the Nazis were rat bastards, every one of them. But what we are seeing today with the enemies of pleasure, now invading school students, school lunch boxes and lunch bags is just absolutely mortifying to me. Aliquippa School District posted on Facebook a couple of weeks ago that all Aliquippa junior and senior high school students would be subject to having their lunch bags and their lunch pails searched because of excessive amounts of outside snacks that have been brought into the school. Chips, popcorn, drinks, canned drinks. I mean, I'm not talking about martinis. I'm talking about Coke, Sprite, those kind of soft drinks, those beverages. Now, since when is bringing a snack an illegal offense in any school district? Since when is it the right of bureaucratic school districts, the bureaucrats running these school districts, to allow or to dictate what food items may and may not be brought in? If some mother wants to make a tuna fish sandwich for their child, so be it. If they'd like to give them peanut butter and Jelly or peanut, yeah, pe- what is it? Yeah, peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Sure, that's up to them. If they, if their parent wants to bring in a 24-inch Domino's meat lovers pizza, give that to their student for lunch. Have at it. School districts should say nothing about what type of food should be brought in. Well, apparently the school district says that. Aliquippa junior and senior high school students were bringing in excessive amounts of snacks. So therefore, anything more than one four-ounce bag of chips and one beverage up to 20 ounces, anything more than that would be thrown out by security, by the snack SS at the Aliquippa school district. I understand if you want to search a student's backpack for a weapon. I do not understand searching a student's lunch bag or lunchbox for 
snacks that are in excess of four ounces or beverages that are in excess of 20 ounces. It is not their right. It is not their, their place to determine what students should and should not eat. That is up to their parents. Of course, within a matter of hours, the post that was placed on Facebook by the Aliquippa School District generated tremendous amounts of negative criticism. And rightly so. And the Pennsylvania School District, the Aliquippa School District, did what they always do. Do what any bureaucrats do. When the going gets tough, they delete the post. They don't want to deal with the backlash. People were saying, you're going to tell parents what they can and cannot send for their child to eat? That's absurd. Maybe if school lunches weren't so tiny and gross, they wouldn't need to bring extra snacks, one person commented. Another person said, lunch police. Maybe they should stay out of the parenting business and focus on giving our kids a quality education. That makes sense. Before deleting the post, the Aliquippa School District, whoever moderates their social media, responded, and I quote, Thank you for all your feedback. If you have children in the district, please contact your building principal. If you are an internet heckler, continue as you were. Now, do you see the, 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 the derogatory connotation there? Do you see how they look down on parents because parents are complaining? As if, how dare a parent complain? We are the bureaucrats. We are the administrators. We are the ultimate arbiters on what happens to your child between 8 a.m. and 3 p.m. or 4 p.m. As if to say, you parents have unmitigated gall to question our school district and our policies. Their policy is absolutely absurd. District Superintendent Philip Woods said the decision to limit snacks was made because students were selling and trading food causing distractions. Aha! I now see the bigger picture. Could it be that children, school students, Junior and high schoolers were engaging in capitalism. They were disrupting school indoctrination of socialism, Marxism, and anti-Americanism. Maybe that's why the school district and the school superintendent said, we can't allow this. These children are learning capitalism. They're bringing in four or five bags of potato chips. They're eating three, and they're selling the other two bags. They are making a profit. This cannot be allowed to stand. Is it capitalism? Is it the fact that some bureaucratic enemy of pleasure in the school district is against kids eating snacks? Are they soon going to inspect lunch boxes and say, I'm sorry, that roast beef sandwich is not allowed. That is meat. We don't allow meat here in this school district. Will they then look at some other food and say, well, we, I'm sorry, you can't have those ribs. You cannot have that hamburger. We do not believe in meat because it's unhealthy and we deem it to be dangerous for the environment. That's the latest bullshit that we hear. Oh, Meat is, is terrible for the environment. Pork is terrible for the, for the environment. We have to worry about climate change and cows, the flatulence they emit, the methane. That could cause the possibility of 
the climate to rise and sea levels to rise. They will stop at nothing, any cockamamie excuse. I just saw that over the last seven years, temperature hasn't risen. It has stayed the same on average the past seven years. The sea levels are the same the past seven years. Climate change, as we said, is a fabricated method of wealth transfer. Transferring wealth by and among elites or from the working class to the elites. They'll still travel on their private planes. They'll still travel. They'll still live in 16, 20,000 square foot mansions on the water. But you want to eat meat or you want to drive an SUV? How dare you? Don't you know you're contributing towards our world climate crisis? So on some levels, could it be that the food police, the enemies of pleasure, the snack SS at Aliquippa High School and middle school, they don't want students to eat products they deem to be unnecessary? Or could it be the fact that these students engaged in the most cruel, most vicious, most evil type of social transaction that can take place, and that is practicing capitalism. According to them, it's evil. How dare these kids make a profit? We want to indoctrinate them. We want them to be little socialists so that we can control their lives, so the government can tell exactly what people can and can't do, that they're beholden to us. Preaching Marxism. We want to preach anti-Americanism. That's what hap is happening at school districts. This is outrageous. I am hoping the school realizes that the district superintendent, Philip Woods, realizes his policy is beyond stupid. I hope that Philip Woods and all the other bureaucrats at the Aliquippa School District realize what a ridiculous, stupid policy they enacted, searching school lunch boxes and lunch bags for and removing anything more than one four-ounce bag of chips and one beverage up to 20 ounces. Sergeant Steve, I don't know about you. I don't ever remember a, a bag of chips being four ounces. When I was a kid, they were always six ounces, sometimes even eight ounces. You send your kids to school. Do they brown bag it, or do they get lunch at school? They usually get the lunch at school. Okay. So, But I'm sure, I am sure, you and the lovely Mrs. Sergeant Steve go out and buy snacks. Mm -hmm. What size are the snack are the snack bags these days? They're not very big. They're, they they're smaller than I remember them. So maybe that's the de facto standard now, four ounces, which is nothing. I mean, I remember at least six ounces. Some were eight. So Shrinkflation's been going on a while. It has been going on a while. They charge the same amount of money. So now what we see are kids, you're only allowed to have four ounces, any drink up to 20 ounces, sorry, we're going to throw that out. It is not their place, it is not their right. And I've stated all along since I started this show in 1995, when the pleasure police first reared their ugly heads right around 1997, 1998, I said at the time, we must be on guard for incrementalism. When an enemy of pleasure or a member of the a pleasure police, the snack SS, when they come calling, they will always do so and say to you, we only want to limit this one item. That's all we want. We don't want any cigars, any smoking inside of restaurants. And then they come back a year, two years later and say, well, 
Now we don't want smoking on outdoor patios. And then they come back a year later. Now we don't want them on any public sidewalks or on the beach or in public parks or in, on golf courses. It always starts small, and then it snowballs. Incrementalism. We saw it with snacks. We saw it with sugar-flavored beverages. Oh, we want a tax. Just a penny per ounce. That's nothing. Now, most people would say, well, what's a penny an ounce? Well, when you consider that a liter, or two, let's say a two-liter, if I'm not mistaken, I think two liters is like 120-some-odd ounces. Maybe it's less. Let's just say it's 120. A penny an ounce would be $1.20. So when a, I think the last time I saw soda, it was like a buck 209 in the store. That would be the equivalent of about a 60% tax. So you can say, well, it's only a penny. But when you add it up, it's huge. For example, if you go to buy a 16-ounce can of soda, normally now I think it's, what, 75 cents? No, more well, than that. Well, you add the... More than that, how, how, how much is it now, Sergeant Steve? It's probably 75 cents to a dollar. Okay, so let's just say it's a buck. And actually, yeah, so 16... So in that case, 16 cents, well, that would still be 16, 16%. That's a hefty tax. If you said to people, we are going to put a sales tax of 16% on everything, there would be chaos and riots in the streets. But they start small. Well, we just want to do it because we want to make... Better health choice, people to make better health choices. And then it starts going into the meat counter. And now we're seeing it to the snack counter. And now we're seeing it invade lunch students' lunch boxes, where now an intrusive snack SS, a member of the pleasure police, the snack police, will ransack their lunch box and their lunch bag. Are you telling me that security in schools don't have anything better to do? This is absurd. And we may say, well, it's only one school district. Let's not make a big deal out of it. We have said that before. We've said it about California. Well, it's just one city in California, no smoking. Then the next thing, it's the state. Then it's 50 states. It's the whole country. It always starts small. And if you don't nip it in the bud early, it spreads like a mutating virus. The school going through a student's lunchbox, to me, is unconscionable. A parent decides what their son or daughter should eat, should be served, and how much they should be served. If a parent said, look, my son likes pizza, so I bought him a whole Domino's pizza. He's got a big appetite. He's thin. No problem. Fine. It's not up to the school. By the way, speaking of school districts, I just saw this a couple of days ago. For the first time ever, the red wave has officially begun in the first time ever in Kenosha County, Wisconsin history. Oh, you betcha. A Republican was elected county executive. First time ever in Kenosha County. Also in the same county, there were, I think, seven people that were running for the school board. The top three vote-getters get on the board. The top three elected all 
conservatives, never in politics before. They were fed up with what they were skiing, seeing in schools. And I hope the parents in Aliquippa County, Pennsylvania, do the same thing. Unconscionable. It starts small in one county, one city, one school. Incrementalism. It grows to two schools, to 10 schools, to 10 counties, to 10 states, to 50 states, whole country. We must nip this in the bud. This is just part of the world of intrusion we are now living on, living in here in the United States. They don't like what you eat. They don't like who you associate with. They don't like that you smoke cigars. They don't like you drink beverages. They don't like that you drive an SUV. They don't like that you travel. They don't like that you think for yourself. We as alphas... We are very worldly on current events. We're extremely bright. We're extremely smart. We are extremely conversant in the topics and news events of the day. We can debate anyone with fact and beat them. And that is why the other side, when we're over the target, the enemies of pleasure, the enemies of alphas, that's when they start coming after us en masse. The Snack SS does not belong in your child's lunchbox or lunch bag or any child's lunchbox or lunch bag. End of discussion. Now, wokeism is a disease. You know, I always say that liberalism is a disease with no known cure. It's terminal. Wokeism now has become the same type of disease. As President Trump says, Go woke and everything turns to shit. Get woke, go broke. He's right. Latest example. For 125 years, Americans and consumers worldwide have enjoyed a snack that has brought so much pleasure with sweet caramel popcorn and caramel glazed peanuts and that little prize in a box of Cracker Jacks. We are very familiar with the song, Take Me Out to the Ball Game, so we know all about Cracker Jacks. Frito-Lay, which owns Cracker Jack, I did not know that. Borden used to own Cracker Jack for many years. Frito-Lay, the big snack food conglomerate, now owns it, part of Pepsi. They have now gone absolutely woke. Their woke agenda on display because... For, to celebrate women in sports, Cracker Jack is creating a limited edition and changing the name to Cracker Jill. I kid you not. The change is meant to celebrate the tenacity and grit of women and girls in sports, according to Frito-Lay. The snacks will be available in five special edition bags featuring women of different races, initially only available at ballparks. Because when you think about it, you think of when you go out to the ballpark, peanuts, Cracker Jacks, beer. That's what you, do, that's what you eat when you go to a baseball game. There's a song, and we'll get to that song in just a moment. Initially, these will be available at ballparks across the country. There's another way that you can buy these. If you donate $5 or more to the Women's Sports Foundation through the Cracker Jill website, you get a free bag. And Frito-Lay is also pledging to donate $200,000 to the Women's Sports Foundation. 
These limited edition bags will be available at the start of this year's baseball season in professional ballparks around the country and also via donation. Now, Frito-Lay has even gone to the trouble of revising the very famous song, Take Me Out to the Ball Game. So before I give you their rendition, let's hear from the great, legendary Harry Carey, may he rest in peace, seventh inning stretch, singing Take Me Out to the Ball Game at Wrigley Field during the seventh inning between, seventh inning stretch between one of the Cubbies games. Great Harry Carey, take me out to the ball game. Now let's take a listen to the new rendition that Frito-Lay has created for Cracker Jill, take me out to the ball game. A one, a two, take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts, said Cracker Jill. No one can stop if you have the will, so let's root, root, root for a girl's dream. We're adding our face to the game, and we'll run, throw, never a doubt it's a new ball game. Sergeant Steve? Number one, what'd you think of my Harry Carey rendition? And number two, what'd you think of that new Cracker Jill rendition? I think the song's going to catch on. Say that again? The song will catch on, I believe. You think it will? Yes. No chance. No way. <laughs> that was joking. Okay, that's good. I was worried about that for a second. I thought maybe you went woke, Steve, and we'd have a real problem. Uh, no. Okay, so yeah. But how about the Harry Carey rendition? I thought that was pretty good. Not not too bad. Not bad. You gotta you gotta you gotta you gotta talk like this a little bit. You gotta you gotta be you gotta have a little bubbly going on here. Oh boy. Oh you gotta struggle to get it out there. But I mean take me out to the ball game, take me out with the crowd, buy me some peanuts and cracker, Jill. No one can stop you if you have the will. So let's root, root, root for a girl's dream. We're adding our face to the game. And we'll run, throw, never a doubt. It's a new ball game. No chance ever catching on. But here's what's going to happen. Mark my words. Major League Baseball will say, you know what? For the next week, let's celebrate women's sports and women's contributions to sport. And let's sing for the next week these lyrics during the seventh inning stretch. Mark my words. They are going to go woke, too. Cracker Jill, I don't think so. Give me a break. It's Cracker Jack 125 years ago. It was Cracker Jack 75 years ago. Cracker Jack 
50 years ago, Cracker Jack five years ago, Cracker Jack a week ago. It will forever be Cracker Jack. I'm sorry. Even women I've spoken to said, Cracker Jill, too corny for me. I'd rather eat Cracker Jacks. And I'll tell you something else. I would rather conduct the International Cigar Litation and Libation Ceremony with a great cigar and a great libation, and I have both of those selected, and it's coming your way around the corner. I had the pleasure of knowing the late, great Avo Uvesian, the man behind the Avo lineup of cigars, and Avo had a great saying. He would tell me, savor every note. Well, one cigar that I can tell you, you will savor every puff, savor every note, is the Avo Heritage. It was developed for the cigar connoisseur seeking a fuller-bodied cigar. Strength, complexity, impeccable smoothness, nice notes of spice. If you are looking for a cigar that delivers full-bodied richness, impeccable smoothness, savor every note of the spice-laden Avo heritage. Available at DavidoffGeneva.com. With an unlimited and secure supply of pleasure sticks available for the general to enjoy, it's time for National Cigar Litation Maneuvers. Well, I have selected a great cigar that was given to me by Jeff Borchowitz and Tommy D, Tommy Diadio of the Corona Cigar Stores in Orlando and uh, in the Cigar City of Tampa. But before I do that, talking about libation. Rick Jenneret, who I grew up with as a kid, I would listen to the Buffalo Sabres games on WGR 550 on my little RCA transistor radio. I'd have to go to bed like around 8.30, 9 o'clock as a kid, grade school. But my parents said, but you can listen to it on the radio. So I always had it tuned. I had Buffalo Sabres games on WGR. And then when the Buffalo Braves of the NBA played, I had it on WBEN 930, which I was on for, what, 24 years. That uh, was our Buffalo affiliate. So pretty cool being on the station I grew up with as a kid, listening to the great Van Miller with Buffalo Bills or Buffalo Braves and Buffalo Bills play-by-play. And Rick Jenrett celebrating 50 years as the voice of the Buffalo Sabres. The original voice, Ted Darling. Ted Darling passed away. Rick, very modest guy, says, I'm not the voice. I'm just the announcer, the current announcer of the Buffalo Sabres. Well, an incredible career with some great calls. And one of them was when Pat LaFontaine scored a goal. One of the great hockey players back, I want to say, in the 80s, maybe 90s. And something came over him. He scored a goal, I think, in overtime. And he said, here's LaFontaine. He shoots. He scores. la 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 which got me thinking in honor of the great Rick Jenneret. They had a big 50th anniversary retirement ceremony for him earlier this week. When uh, Actually, last week. It was a week ago yesterday. I got thinking. Today, we're going to be conducting the International Cigar Litation and Libation Ceremony. So I dedicate... Today's litation and libation ceremony to the great Rick Jenneret. 50 years as the Sabres play-by-play man, first on radio and then on TV and radio. And as a kid, would love hearing his voice, love hearing just the way that he would call the game and the enthusiasm and the excitement. 
became a Sabres fan, and every time during the game I'd be sitting in the stands, I'd always look up to the press box because they had a banner that said WGR 55, and I knew that's where Rick and the color commentator was, and I'd always watch them and see them. And I had the chance to meet Rick several times here in Tampa. I'd be in the press box for the Lightning Games, and I would see uh, him and... um, uh, Jim Lorenz, his longtime color commentator broadcast partner, was a big cigar guy. And I found out about it because the general manager, the former general manager at our Buffalo affiliate, uh, Greg Reed, mentioned to me that, oh, yeah, Rick, uh, Jim Lorenz loves cigars. So I came up, brought plenty of cigars, and I gave it to him, and I got a chance to talk to uh, uh, both Jim Lorenz and Rick Generette for about 10 minutes. Really enjoyed it, and I told Rick, I told him the story. He said, you have no idea how many people have come up to me telling me that they couldn't watch the game. They had to go to bed, but they listened to me. So I said, Rick, you had an indelible impact on me as a kid growing up, you and Van Miller, because you were my pal. I would listen to the games, and when I would fall asleep, usually in 15, 20 minutes, invariably, as soon as my father came in or my mother came in, the first thing when they would wake me up, I would say, "Who did the Sabres win? Who won? That was the first question. So my RCA 9-volt-powered transistor radio that hung on my bedpost, small little radio, tremendous memories. And to Rick Generette, I salute you with this cigar and with a great libation that I will enjoy. Now let's talk about the cigar. I mentioned to you that Jeff Borshowitz, the founder, owner of Corona Cigars and the Davidoff Store Lounge in Tampa, he and I have been friends for many, many years. And I paid a tribute, a visit out to him at his FSG Florida Sun Grown Farm. And, of course, he had loads of cigars for me to sample that feature his Florida Sun Grown FSG tobacco. And one of the cigars that he created in conjunction with Eduardo Fernandez of Casa Fernandez is the Corona Nicaraguan 12th Anniversary FSG Connecticut. That's a lot to say in one mouthful. It features an Ecuadorian Connecticut wrapper. The blend features Jalapa Candega and Esteli Nicaraguan filler along with the fifth and sixth priming of Florida sun-grown Lajero tobaccos. What you get is large amounts of unique flavor from the FSG Lajero, which is the strongest part of the leaf, gets the most sunlight and then some beautiful balance and some sweetness and subtleness from the three varietals of Nicaraguan cigar tobaccos. One of the best sellers at Corona Cigars, by far. It's a wonderful cigar. Medium bodied, it's not overpowering, not gonna kill you, and it's reasonably priced. For what you get, it is fantastic. I have just selected the Corona Nicaraguan 20th Anniversary FOG Connecticut, Churchill. 10 bucks, seven inches in length, 50 ring gauge. And I will tell you that Casa Fernandez, one of the great cigar growers, cigar manufacturers, Eduardo Fernandez, great story. We've spoken to him before on the show. And Jeff, with his passion for FSG, and believe me, it is a labor of love. When I was on the farm with Jeff, there is a ton of work that goes into a farm. And I assure you, I know for fact, Jeff isn't doing it for the money because you don't make money growing cigar tobacco in Florida. But he does it for the love of cigars to do something unique, to do something that hasn't been done before. Very difficult to grow that type of cigar tobacco in Florida. 
He's got cattle. He produces honey. There's watermelons on the farm. It's really amazing. I was blown away, but I was also blown away at how much work. I told Jeff, there's no way in the world I could do this because you have to have a passion, and Jeff does. And it's always a delight to go visit him, whether it's in the store or certainly on the farm. And I can tell you that we recorded uh, several days' worth of interviews, and it really was fascinating to spend time and watch the painstaking process. Talk about technology. There's no technology there. It's all humans that are involved, that are overseeing the tobacco growing, the planting, the seedlings, the harvesting, the fermenting. Not an easy task, but a great cigar. The Corona Nicaraguan 20th Anniversary FSG Connecticut that features Florida sun-grown tobacco grown in Claremont, Florida, just west of Orlando, northeast of Tampa. Fifth and sixth priming. Cannot wait to get my chompers on this beautiful-looking stick. Cigar-altering and highly sharpened leaf-exposing device. Self-sharpening double-edged stainless steel guillotine ready in hand. Maximum BTU flame-throwing and heat-producing apparatus. From the Cigar Dave Research and Development Labs, where our lab rats, our lab scientists wear the white lab coats with the pocket protectors. They're very geeky. They spend 24-7 devising litation devices. This is the General's Five Star. Five jet flames arranged in a Pentagon pattern. Beautiful butane flame that protrudes about two inches. Translucent tank, built-in piercer or bullet cut. Very, very nice looking litation device. Feels like a small, but it feels like a grenade in hand. Just feels comforting. That's what I would use today. Cigar, Cigar pre-litation checklist complete. No faults detected. Area clear of all enemies of pleasure. Approval to go throttle up in three, two, one. Perfect cut. I exposed just enough of the head of the cigar. The filler leaves on the head of the cigar. So it's just above the shoulder where the, the head starts to curve. That's what we call the shoulder. I will now toast the foot of this Corona Nicaraguan 20th Anniversary FSG Connecticut. And actually, I know that my good buddy Jeff Borshowitz, the man behind FSG Tobacco and the FSG Farm and Corona Cigars, he listens to the Cigar Dave Show all the time. So, Jeff, you are listening. I just want to let you know, I'm very low on supply on these Corona Nicaraguan 20th Anniversary FSGs. I think I'm down to two cigars. So, when you eventually... Get some more from our good friends down in Nicaragua at Casa Fernandez. I think you should stash one aside. And actually, come to think about it, I wouldn't mind having some, uh, some, uh, some of the Van cigars. The Boris 11s and the Van 22s. Also, uh, those are named after his son. Great cigars as well. So, Jeff, if you're listening, and I know you are, you know where to find me. All right, let me puff and rotate here. Hmm. Wow, nice draw. Love this Ecuadorian Connecticut. Just beautiful looking wrapper. Mm. Mm -hmm. mm. Low on the foot. Need to touch one area up. We want a nice even amber glow. There it is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'll let the cigar sit for just about 30 seconds. Taking my time. The aroma. Wonderful aroma. Great, great draw on this cigar. Ten bucks, this is a steal. 
Casa Fernandez makes really exceptional cigars. Very sought after, very in demand. And this comes in five sizes. The Corona Nicaraguan 20th Anniversary FSG Kinetic comes in a Robusto, a Churchill, a Corona Gordo, a Double Corona, and the Torpedo. Now the Double Corona is an eight by 52. So that's really a very, very large Double Corona. Normally they're about seven and a half, but Jeff wanted to go big for good reason. Mm. Delicious, delicious, delicious. Medium bodied, getting some nice spice, little peppery notes. Definitely noticing that FSG. You get a little bit of a kick from those fifth and sixth primings. Nice, pleasant. Not overpowering, loads of flavor. No harshness, beautiful cigar. Now, I need the proper accoutrement accompaniment to wash down the beautiful aroma of this cigar. Scotch, bourbon, and beer commence thirst-quenching libationary maneuvers. Well, about a month ago, excuse me, about a month ago, I talked about the Doers 15. Double-aged, blended Scotch whiskey. Now, there are two types of whiskey. There are blended Scotch whiskeys, and there are single malt Scotches. Blended, they use, they take whiskeys that come from different batches, and they mix them together for consistency. Now remember, when you do a single malt scotch, every one may not turn out the same. They can turn out differently. Dewars, Chivas, Johnny Walker, those are the three main brands for blended scotch. Now some people say, oh, blended scotch is terrible. It's not. Blended scotch is absolutely fine. And one of the, I'll give you an example. Two of my favorites, Johnny Walker Black 12, one of my favorites, and Dewar's 15. Now, I remember the first time I had scotch, believe it or not, I was in high school. And I had a uh, little bit, and I really enjoyed it. And then when I became of age at 18, drinking age was 18 when I was growing up, certainly started to enjoy some scotch. I'd be traveling on a plane. I would say, yep, I'll have either a Chivas or, uh, or Dewar's. I, of course, single malt scotches weren't really huge back then. They have become, obviously, incredibly popular. So when the single malt scotch explosion took place, many people started to deride blended scotch whiskey, like it was inferior, it's not great. That's not the case. Dewar's, Chivas, Johnny Walker, all distill outstanding scotches, and they blend it for consistency. Now this Dewar's 15 was created to be a sweeter, lighter blended scotch whiskey. They use a double aging process, very smooth, nice notes, some toffee, some honey, little floral notes. So let me go ahead and open this up because I literally have about three quarters of a shot full. That's it. When it's, go it's gone, it's done, sad. I'm going to put it in my snifter. I'm going to drink it neat. I found the last three, four days I've been experimenting. I've been getting some spirits for me to sample. And I've been experimenting both neat in a snifter, also in a snifter with a nice Prohibition-style rock, nice ice cube, to see how it changes and the complexity. It's very interesting. You should do the same thing yourself. But the aroma that I'm getting right now, wow. Hmm. Hmm. Definitely getting a little bit of woodiness. Getting some sweetness. Mm, almost a honey-like 
aroma. Let me say cheers. Take a sip. Mmm. Mmm. Light. It's a beautiful light amber color. Definite honey. I'm getting a little toffee. Definite some floral notes. Getting a little bit of warmth. Take another sip. Now let me take a puff here of my Nicaragua, Corona Cigar Nicaraguan 20th Anniversary FFG Connecticut. Outstanding. Mm-hmm. Mm. Perfect pairing. One problem. I'm now out of Dewar's 15 Double Aged, which means that I'm going to have to go pick up some more. Because it is a wonderful, and they blend it using both sherry and bourbon barrels. And then they marry them in a selecto cast for additional aging. So you really get some very uniqueness to this. Price is not bad. <coughs> Excuse me. 750 milliliters, 40 bucks. Not bad at all. Very nice. And Dewar's really has expanded their portfolio. It was always their white label. Then they brought the 12 and a 15. I'll tell you what. They have one that I've sampled called their Dewar's Caribbean Smooth. It's aged eight years using up to 40 single malts and grain whiskeys that have been aged for at least eight years, then double age. Then they finish them in ex-Caribbean rum cast for six months. Beautiful. Phenomenal. Try the Dewar's Caribbean rum cask finish as well. Dewar's really has expanded their portfolio. Very, very nice. Can't go wrong. So... My international cigar litation and libation ceremony is concluded. When we come back, we'll head up to Augusta. Augusta National for the Masters. Question I receive most from connoisseurs. General, what is the newest cigar that I should try? Easy answer. Right now, it's the Gurkha Revenant. Very unique addition to the Gurkha portfolio. It comes in two different wrappers a Corojo or a San Andrean Maduro wrapper. But what is unique about the Gurkha Revenant? It uses essentially the same Cameroon binder and some broadleaf in the filler. So you're going to get some unique sweetness. You're going to get some unique spice. The San Andres Maduro wrapper adds more sweetness with a little bit more of a unique complexion, whereas the Corojo, more of a medium-bodied balanced smoke. Try one of each. You can't go wrong. The brand new Gurkha Revenant available in Corojo and San Andres Maduro wrapper. Visit GurkhaCigars.com. celebrate those that play, those that love the game, a chance for the players to display their ability on one of the most picturesque historic courses in the world. It allows overly sensationalizing emotional play-by-play -play men such as me, Jim Nance, to come in, speak in a hushed whisper get on my knees and knee pads at Butler Cabin to fillet the president of Augusta National for the hallowed green jacket ceremony. 
But before we talk more about the Masters, let's talk about the Masters Champions Dinner. And to do that, let me turn it back to the General, my good friend, Cigar Dave. Thank you, Jim. Well, let me do it as Hootie Johnson. I think it was Hootie Johnson, the former president, used to do when he would always introduce, Jim Nance would introduce Hootie coming in. He goes, well, thank you, Jim. Such a delight to see you. Oh, thank you, Hootie. Great to see you too, sir. Let me get on my knees. Well, Jim, I just want to say to all our, all our participants, our patrons, of course, our worldwide viewers, what an honor it was to have you all join us during this Masters Week. Nothing allows me more pleasure than being a southern redneck cracker, country club white kind of guy where only wasps are allowed. We don't let any of those other folks here at Augusta National, if you know what I'm saying. Now, when Tiger won, we were a little concerned. We'd never have a black fellow won. But we adjusted to it. Of course, many of our older members croaked and died on the, so on the spot, but we adjusted to it. And now we're happy. We've had an Indian that has won it. Correction, maybe it's, he was Pakistani. I can't, I can never remember. A black win it. We've had a guy named Bubba win it. So anything is possible now here at Augusta National. Now back to you, Dave. Thank you, Hootie. I think Hootie's dead, by the way. Yes, Hootie is now departed. He's six feet under. Amen's corner at the Masters. The Tuesday before the Masters tournament starts, it is tradition for the previous year's champion, they don't call him a winner, the champion, to select what will be served at dinner in his honor. Last year, Mr. Hideki Matsuyama won the Masters from Japan. And so I have obtained a copy of the menu. They present a card that is at every place setting, what will be served? Master's Club Dinner, April 5th, 2022. Served in honor of Mr. Hideki Matsuyama. And I will do, using a Japanese impression, the menu. Now, if somebody's offended because I impersonate people from Japan, or China, or Italians, or Mexicans, or Canadians, or people from the Bronx, or people from Wisconsin, I don't give a damn. We are not politically correct, we're not woke. We do it as a form of exaggeration. So here we go. Dinner served in honor of Mr. Hideki Matsuyama, and I shall do the menu in a Japanese, or at least a Japanese impression. Appetizers, sauteed sushi, sashimi, and nigiri, yakitori chicken skewers, followed by a miso glazed black card with dashi broth. For main course, Miyazaki Wagyu, A5 Wagyu beef ribeye, with a mixed mushrooms, vegetables, and a Sancho Taikan Panzu. For dessert, a Japanese strawberry shortcake, fluffy sponge cake with whipped cream, and our mouse strawberries, in honor of Hideki, Matsuyama, konnichiwa! Let me bring out my samurai now. In fact, that's how I'm gonna cut my Wagyu. With the samurai. Get the samurai and whack, whack. So, interesting dinner. I, uh, 
not overly appealing to me. I mean, the sushi, sashimi, and nigiri, and the chicken skewers, that's good. Now, the beef ribeye, I'm not a mushroom fan. So the vegetables, yes. I don't know what a sancho daikon panzu. It's like a, it's like a Japanese sauce. But the ribeye, definitely. Dessert, fluffy sponge cake with whipped cream and strawberries. Yeah, not so much. Not so much. But in any event, that is the dinner that is being served that we wanted to share with you. And again, we must speak in hushed tones because it's this time of year where Jim Nance and all the announcers will be on their best behavior so that CBS can extend their contract another year. It is only awarded by the Masters on a year-to-year basis. CBS has held it since the beginning. Now, there are some no-nos. We don't call the rough. The rough at the Masters, it is the second cut. And if you describe fast greens as bikini wax greens, you will be excommunicated in perpetuity. And if you see many of our members that are half croak with one foot in the ground, pass by, wave to them in their cute green jackets. The Masters, this week at Augusta. Now I've had people say to me, have you, is it, I mean, you play golf, Dave. Isn't it your dream, your like fantasy to play Augusta National? Now, I have a lot of fantasies, and I can tell you that Augusta National ain't one of them. Okay? Not one of them. Now, back in the day, when I was in college, Lonnie Anderson definitely was one of them. But playing the Augusta National, I played Pebble Beach. Great course. That was great. But I have zero desire. I've stated this. Zero desire... Now, if I, somebody invited me, sure, but I just find that the club is so stiff. They're all altacockers. In Yiddish, that means they're all old farts. They're old timers. Now, there's some younger members now, but would I want to be a member of a club with those people? The answer is no. They're not fun people. Now, they may be the captains of business and industry and sport, but they're not the kind of people that you'd say, hey, let's grab a cigar and let's grab a cocktail and let's shoot the shit. You wouldn't do it with them just not happening so the masters this week everybody the golfers will go all goo goo gaga and there's a lot of excitement because taiga now we're recording this on friday so that was yesterday now i don't know if tiger has made the cut or not but who knows if he did mazel tov if he didn't taiga is out but we will see but if tiger is in i'm sure there'll be even more excitement but as always the masters does generate a ton of enthusiasm Frankly, I'd rather just watch it for the pristine grounds than the actual golf. Because as much as I enjoy playing golf, watching golf puts me to It's better than an ambient. 30 seconds watching golf, boom, finished, I am done. All right. This is a very unique story. Now, this is a serious story to begin with. Jury selection for the trial of Parkland school shooter Nicholas Cruz began this week. Now the jurors are going to determine, eventually determine whether he will face the death penalty or life in prison. As you know, that there is a horrific attack that he was the mastermind behind. I don't use that term very, I use it loosely almost sarcastically, Cruz went in, guns in hand, and uh, essentially killed 17 people, injured others at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, where he was once a student, 
on February 14, 2018. Hard to believe that was four years ago. So jury selection, determining whether or not he will be given life in prison or the death penalty. And for death penalty, it must be unanimous per Florida law. Well, this week during jury selection that was being supervised by Broward Circuit Judge Elizabeth Scherer, who, by the way, absolutely would achieve honorary status in my harem. Not your typical look. Let's put it this way. She doesn't look like Judge Judy. She definitely is a definite hottie. There's no question. Very attractive judge. What's under the robe, judge? Is there anything under the robe, judge? Young. She looks like she's in her late 30s, maybe early 40s. Definite harem material. Well, during the proceedings, when they interview jury, potential jurors, and they ask them, it's going to be a one-month trial approximately in July. They ask them, are there any conflicts? Do you know of this? Are you familiar with the case? Now, I always tell people, if there's going to be like a long trial, if you get called for jury duty, and the judge says right off the bat, well, this could be like a three, four-week trial. You may get sequestered. When the judge or any of the attorneys say, are you familiar with this case, your first response should be, yes, I would fry the son of a bitch. Because immediately, the defense attorneys will say, reject, forget it, dismissed. You don't want to sit on a jury for a month. You don't want to be sequestered. Some of these trials that have gone on three, four, like, do these people not have lives? Not my jam, not my cup of tea. So this week, the judge, after they had their initial round of interviews and during the selection process, Circuit Judge Elizabeth Scherer asked if she had missed anyone with concerns or questions. And there was one of the jurors who raised their hands. Take a listen to the exchange between the potential juror and the judge. Miss Bristol. Yes, please. Yes. Okay, so I'm reading. So it's a whole entire month. First of all, let me clarify myself. Okay. July 7th is my birthday. The 4th is my son. The 8th is my other son. So that ain't going to work off me. Then I'm going to realize... Okay, hold on, hold on. Wait, 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 wait. Don't talk too fast, please. We have oh. to be able to understand. Okay. So you said that the what? July... There's dates in, in, in July that you're not available. What are July those dates? July 7th, July 4th, which is closed. On July 18th. But You're then again, I need to figure out something. I have my sugar daddy that I see every day. I'm sorry? My sugar daddy. Okay, I'm not exactly sure what you're talking about. But well, we'll I'm married and I have my, my, my sugar daddy. Okay. I see him every day. All right, ma'am, we'll come back to you, okay? Thank you. Oh, uh, yeah, we'll come back to that. <laughs> I'm married and I have my sugar daddy. How stupid can people be? Clearly, we know the answer. What do I always say? At least half of America is stupid. I just presented you with Exhibit A. Now, I get if she says, look, a month I can't do, come up with some other cockamamie excuse. But to say, I got to see my sugar daddy every day, the judge, I, now I saw the video of this. We just played the audio. The video, the judge had this perplexed look when she said, I got to see my sugar daddy. <laughs> you what? My sugar daddy every day. And when she said, Okay, we'll come back to this. The expression was priceless. The woman stating that she couldn't serve because she's got to see her sugar daddy every day is priceless. You cannot 
make this up. Sergeant Steve, hit it one more time. It's that entertaining. Miss Bristol. Yes, please. Yes. Okay, so I'm reading. So it's a whole entire month. First of all, let me clarify myself. Okay. July 7th is my birthday. The 4th is my son. The 8th is my other son. So that ain't gonna work off me. Then I'm gonna realize. Okay, hold on, hold on. Wait, 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 wait. Don't talk too fast, please. We have oh. to be able to understand. Okay. So you said that the what? July. There's dates in, in, in July that you're not available. What are July those dates? July 7th, July 4th, which is closed, and July 18th. But you're then again, I need to figure out something. I have my sugar daddy that I see every day. I'm sorry? My sugar what? daddy. Okay, I'm not exactly sure what you're talking about. But well, we'll... I'm married and I have my, my, my sugar daddy. Okay. And I see him every day. All right, ma'am, we'll come back to you, okay? Thank you. Yeah, we'll come back to you, you nutcase. I got my sugar daddy. Got to see him every day. Now, I would love, love to hear what the husband has to say if he found out she's got a sugar daddy. You cannot make this up. It is better than movies. Let's hope the jury that is finally selected votes to execute Nicholas Cruz. And let's hope this woman is able to see her sugar daddy every single day. Now this is comical. Absolutely, when I saw this, I laughed my alpha ass off. The mayor of New York, Eric Adams, or as I refer to him as de Blasio 2.0, as big of a schmuck, loves looking good, wearing the suits, you know, all, as I like to say, big hat, no cattle, empty suit, nothing there. Eric Adams this week announced that the city of New York, under his leadership, is launching an ad campaign in five Florida cities protesting the Parental Rights and Education Bill that was re recently signed into law by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis in an attempt to lure New York City transplants back. Now, forget everything. Just the statement luring New York City transplants back from Florida to New York, my question would be, what type of illegal substance is Eric Adams taking? How many New Yorkers that fled New York City, the shithole New York City, came to Florida over the last year and a half? How many of them do you think want to head back to a city where there's no bail law, basically, you, you can you perpetuate a crime, you get released. Cashless bail. People are getting thrown uh, out of subway tracks, getting beaten up, getting mugged. Crime is rampant. City is dirty. Who wants to go from pristine tropical Florida, the freedom state of Florida, with no taxes, no state income or city taxes, go back to the shithole New York with a city tax, a state tax, crime through the roof, and a high cost of living. Tell me one person with one one hundred millionth of a, of a brain particle would say, yeah, you know what? That's going to be, I'm going to listen to that ad campaign. I'm going to move back. He said the political showmanship of attempting to demonize a particular group or community is unacceptable. And we're going to loudly show our support and say to those living in Florida, listen, we want you here in New York. 
He went on to say, other folks want, a people, want people to hide their color. We like to show our color, and this rainbow is representative of this community. I have a message for Florida's LBGTQ plus community. Come to a city where you can say and be whatever you want. Well, the last time I looked, if you want to say gay and be gay, have at it. You want to be quadrisexual in Florida and tell everyone you're quadrisexual? Totally legal. You want to tell somebody you're cisgender, multigender, bigender, uh, queer, queer plus, queer IQ plus, have at it. Nobody's stopping you. But what we will not allow in the schools, and especially in kindergarten through third grade, is bringing up topics that A, have no business being discussed at that age, and two, being discussed at that age during the school day. And of course, the libs and the enemies of this, of this parental rights bill said, oh, it's the don't say gay bill, because they created this false narrative. So everyone's like, oh, don't say gay. You could, gay isn't even mentioned. So it's all bullshit. But that's what the Democrats and the liberals do. They lie their asses off every hour of every day of every year. And then the libstream media picks up on it, and people are like, oh, I just heard about that don't say gay bill that they're introducing in Florida. That's not right. And when I ask people, have you read the bill? No. Why don't you read the bill? Why don't you, why don't you do what most educated people do? Why don't you brief yourself on the subject? Read the frickin' bill. And then you can come back and say, oh, Jesus, it doesn't say don't say gay in there. You can say whatever you want. The governor of Maryland, who's a rhino, Republican in name only, he came out last week on one of these Sunday shows saying, oh, this, and he goes, first thing he said is, now I haven't read the bill, but the contents of that bill, the don't say gay is just not acceptable. We would never allow that here in Maryland. Excuse me. The first statement out of your mouth is, I haven't read the bill. I haven't seen the bill. Don't you think before you comment and open your big yap, you should read the bill? Read what's in it. But people don't do that because they believe the bullshit that's spewed by the Libstream media. Private companies are collaborating with the New York City Mayor's Office to display the New York City promo on digital billboards in Miami, a correction, in Fort Lauderdale, Jacksonville, Orlando, Tampa, and West Palm Beach for eight weeks from April 4th through May 29th. Now here are some of the billboards. The first one is rectangular. And in the center, it says, come to the city where you can say whatever you want. And then it says, NYC, heart you. And the heart has the, you know, the LBGTQ pride rainbow in it. And around it, there's the word gay about 400 times in various sizes. It's horizontal, it's angled, it's perpendicular, it's vertical, and it's gay, 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 gay. Come to the city where you can say whatever you want. Guess what? You can say it in Florida. Then there's another billboard that says, New York City is alive, and so is free speech. Again, on the bottom, NYC heart you with the, with the rainbow gay theme flag in the heart. New York City is alive. New York City is a crime, rat-infested shithole that is dying by the second. Free speech in New York with Democrats? You were the ones with all the lockdowns, not in the freedom state of Florida. I think you got the wrong state. 
And then they have another slogan which says, people say a lot of ridiculous things in New York. Don't say gay isn't one of them. Oh, please. Nauseating. But anybody that wants to voluntarily move back to New York, be my guest. We don't need you in Florida. We got plenty of people here now. If nobody else moves down here ever again, I'd be fine with it. Now it's getting too congested. No chance in hell that billboard campaign will result in one person moving back to Florida. Or correction, moving from Florida back to shithole New York. Not going to happen tomorrow. Not going to happen in a year. Not going to happen in five years. Adams, again, the Blasio 2.0, big hat, no cattle, absolute lightweight, beyond pathetic. Tell you what else is pathetic. Final, final item here on today's Cigar Dave show. A month ago, during the State of the Union, when you are watching it, you will see behind the president, the vice president sits on the upper left. If you're looking at the stage, if you're looking at the dais, if you will, you have the president on one level. Above him, to the left, is the vice president. To the right, the speaker of the house. Kamila Kuku Harris, vice president, sits on the left, Pelosi on the right. Now, Harris sits in a, both of the, both Harris and Pelosi sit in these brown leather chairs. So what does Harris wear that night? She wears a brown pantsuit with a brown shirt, a brown blouse. Now, the reason that Hillary Clinton wears pantsuits and kooky Kamala Harris wears pantsuits is because they both have big asses. They don't wear dresses. They wear the pantsuit with the jacket to hide their humongous ass. That's the reality. I don't think it's very feminine. I think there are ways that even with a dress tailored, you can still look good even if you have a big ass. But she decided to wear all brown. Now, the jokes on social media were going on all over the place. Some people were saying she looks like a, a, a Hershey bar because it's all brown. Other people were saying that uh, she looked like you know, a UPS driver. I, pl I looked at it and I looked, I said, geez, she looks like a UPS driver. Remember the old uh, the commercial, what can Brown do for you? Well, Amber Athey, who is a writer for The Spectator, Spectator Magazine, and also is one of their, I should say was, one of the three morning show co-hosts, one of the free, three female co-hosts on O'Connor and Company on WMAL in Washington, a very legendary heritage news talk station. At one time was owned by ABC, very, at the time, big station, no longer the powerhouse that it was, but it still does get a decent-sized listenership because of the fact that they appeal towards people that are interested in news, political conversation. So the WMAL Morning Show, three dames, O'Connor and company. Now, remember, the State of the Union was now a month ago, just about a month ago. The, one of the co-hosts who I am mentioning, Amber Athey, wrote a tweet during the State of the Union and said, Kamala looks like a UPS employee. What can Brown do for you? Nothing good, apparently. Pretty funny tweet. 
wasn't racially motivated. She didn't call her, didn't pay attention, talk to her about her skin color, nothing racially der derisive. It strictly talked about the fact that she was wearing an all brown suit with no color, no zip, no drab, just it was all drab, against a backdrop of a chair that's the same color. So it was like brown on brown on brown on brown. Her, her, her blouse was brown. Her jacket is brown. Her pants are brown. The seat is brown. Everything is brown. Innocuous. No problem. Well, a few days later, Amber Athey spoke critically of protests in favor of trans kids at the University of North Texas. And a group of left-wing wackadoodles who want to chemically castrate children in the name of gender affirmation came after her. All of a sudden, they dug out the Kamala Harris tweet, and they reframed it as being racist. Dozens of Twitter accounts were bragging about contacting her employer about her bigotry. And this is what we, we, under, what we see in cancel culture. You can say something that is totally innocuous, that's non-racial, that's a joke. But now all of a sudden, some group will find fault with it, and 5, 10, or 20 people will tweet about it and contact an employer, in this case, her employer, Cumulus Media, the parent company of WMAL, and all these companies, corporate comp corp corp publicly traded companies, private companies, they overreact to Twitter. They think Twitter represents every person in the United States and the world. It doesn't. The only people that you normally see spouting off on Twitter are left-wing liberal losers, the crunchy granola types that wear the Birkenstocks, the tie-dye T-shirts, that drive their little, their little Priuses. Okay, you see them over at Whole Foods or one of these nature food stores, you know, buying everything that's uh, uh, organic, which is fine, but buying all these weird cockamamie things. They don't eat meat, they don't eat fish, they don't eat this, they don't touch that. They open their big mouths, and we live in an era today where most corporate executives are basically terrified pussies. Broadcasting is amongst the worst of the terrified pussy-run industries. And I know this for a fact. Now, I've been in the broadcasting business for many years. I know many of the group heads, both in TV and radio. There are some that are great. There used to be some great in radio, no more. There is not one broadcasting executive in the radio industry worth a shit. Not Mary Berner of Cumulus, not David Field of Entercom, not Caroline Beasley of Beasley Broadcasting. By the way, their stock now is a buck 57. You can't buy a, a cup of Starbucks for that. And then Bob Pittman at iHeart, or as I like to call it, iDead. Every one of those executives are giant, terrified pussies. They have individually destroyed all the companies. Your stock doesn't go to a buck 57 if you're doing something right. Your stock tanks because your business model sucks, the industry you're in sucks, or you suck. That simple. There's a reason two years ago we decided we were done with terrestrial radio. 
not because of the people that were working on the station level. They were great. The executives are clueless. And I've known them all for 27 plus 30 years. And some of the people I'm calling out now, I happen to know personally. And I know I'm going to get some flack by two of them from people that are high up on the food chain in those companies. I don't care. I don't, res I don't report to them. I don't respond to them. I don't need their bullshit. They treat their employees horribly. They've cut their benefits. They've destroyed the industry. And at the first sign of trouble, the first sign of some bullshit-created controversy, what happens? They run for the exits. Oh, we, we got to get rid of this person. We can't keep them around. Four, four, four people on Twitter called us out, complained about it. We got to get rid of them. None of the men that run these broadcast companies have titanium testicles. Not one. They're all wussified betas. Every one of them. The females, Mary Berner, Caroline Beasley, clueless. In one case, Mary Berner, she used to run Reader's Digest. They brought her in to run a broadcast company. That's brilliant. And the other one wouldn't be around unless her father founded the company. Nepotism is a beautiful thing. A tightly controlled family company that's publicly traded. And they wonder why their stock doesn't go above a buck sixty. They roll over at the first sign of trouble. Something happens instead of saying, well, you're entitled to your opinion. We happen to listen to what she said. We don't have a problem with it. It's not racist. You disagree with it, but it's not racist. Well, in this case, the spineless, wussified pussies. The executives of Cumulus rolled over like a dead dog. On Tucker Carlson several nights ago, Amber Athene, or correction, Athy, Amber Athy was on. Here's what she had to say first about her firing. I think what happened here is that Cumulus thought, uh, and Cumulus is the parent company for WMAL, as you mentioned, that they could just make this all go away. They could get these few activist emails. They could appease the mob if they just fired me. Well, their first mistake was that the woke mob is never satisfied. They always want more scalps. And the second mistake that they made is they thought that I was just going to roll over and yeah. shut up about this. Well, that's not who I am. I believe very deeply that we are all obligated to speak out when injustices occur in our society. And so I intended, as soon as I got fired, to very loudly and proudly tell everybody about what happened to me, because I think we live in a very perverse and sick society, Tucker, when a young woman from a working class background with parents who didn't go to college can't criticize the outfit of the most powerful woman in the United States. <laughs> and worse than that, the most powerful woman in the United States is actually considered the marginalized victim in this scenario. I love this dame. Amber Athey has bigger balls than any of the aforementioned broadcast executives that I spoke about. Everyone. She didn't roll over. She's not going to go away quietly. She's opening her mouth. Good for her. Be the squeaky wheel. And she called out the two executives. She named the spineless executives, and we'll play it for you right now so you hear their names. 
So Jeff Bowden is the Vice President of Cumulus Operations in Washington, D.C. Kristen Fancellas is the Vice President of the Human Resources Department for Cumulus. And they told me straight up on this phone call that they believed that the Kamala Harris tweet about her outfit was in fact racist and violated this vague social media policy that basically says you can't do anything that would bring reputational harm upon the company, which just means that they put that in there so that they can fire people for any reason that they want. The reason people don't want to go work in the broadcasting industry is because these executives have destroyed all morale. It used to be a pre premier pristine industry to get into, but the industry is dying by the millisecond at every turn every few three four five months they're laying people off they're cut 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 cutting i mean i can tell you from experience my flagship was 970 wfla owned by iheart before that clear channel and jcor it was when i tell you one of the great stations in america when jcor owned that and when i first came over in 1997 to bring the cigar dave shows my flagship it was one of the finest run news talk stations in America. Great talent, great programming lineup. I was honored to be asked when the station I was on changed format across Tampa Bay to bring my show over. And I was there for 20, what, 22 years. Loved being a part of it. My office studios in the same building as 970 WFLA, a building that was vibrant, that was loaded with talent and creativity. And every six months, they would start cutting and killing the creativity, killing the programming, not replacing qualified personnel and qualified on-air talent. And every time you look around, up oh, these 10 people were, were let go. It's the holidays. These five people were let go. Oh, it's January 3rd. These eight people were let go. It was constant. The same is happening to Cumulus. Cumulus owns some of the classic news talk stations and music stations in America. WABC, WMAL, KABC, WLS. These as... These are, were big, huge stations with great talent, all gone, all destroyed. And who do they bring in? They bring in spideless, nadless pussies. In fact, both of those pussies that she mentioned, Jeff Bowden, VP of Cumulus Washington, and Kristen Fancellas, VP of Human Resources, who, by the way, I'm extending an open invitation. If I'm wrong that you are both spineless and nadless executives, Please come and correct me. Cigar Dave at CigarDave.com. I will accommodate your schedule. I will bring you on. Mary Burner, if you want to come and speak to us, no problem. The floor will be yours. I'll be res polite, respectful. Of course, I will be persistent. I will not roll over. I will ask difficult questions. But all, of, all three of you have an open invitation to appear on the Cigar Dave show. I know what I'm talking about. I've owned stations, put radio stations on the air been on stations, created a, na a nationally syndicated show, I know the players. Trust me when I tell you, the players today are pathetic. And I love the fact that Amber Athey said, I'm not rolling over. What I did was not wrong. You caved. You rolled over, and they will. once you cave, what did I say? Once you let a cockroach in, 
You let one in the door, next you'll have 20, next you'll have 100. They'll never be satisfied. You tell those woke people, sorry, that's your opinion. Nothing racist. And here's what's interesting. Despite multiple appeals by Amber Athey to the corporate executives, during which time Cumulus Broadcasting officials admitted that the perception of racism was more important than whether or not my tweet was actually, that her tweet was actually racist. The company refused to reverse her decision. So let's get this straight. The tweet is not racist. The company admits it's not racist, but the perception that it's racist was more important than, when it, than whether or not it was actually racist. That's like telling somebody, you know, you didn't murder anybody, but we think there's a perception that if you had the chance, maybe you'd like to murder someone. What kind of nonsense is that? It is racist or it is not racist. The tweet was not racist. Kamala Harris was wearing a brown pantsuit sitting against a brown chair. She absolutely looked like a UPS employee. Again, Amber Athey's tweet. Kamala looks like a UPS employee. What can Brown do for you? Nothing good, apparently. Wear black. Wear white. Wear ivory. Wear a better color. Don't wear brown. It looks so drab. And I can tell you, women I know said that was the worst outfit I've ever seen. They said even Pelosi, you know, looked dressed well. We can't stand her, but she dressed decently. We live in a society today where, number one, we have corporate executives that are afraid of their own shadows. They have no balls. They want to just sit in the chair, get their big money, not rock the boat, count the seconds until retirement. That's why I could never be a corporate executive, even though I had numerous offers. I'm an entrepreneurial guy by nature. I don't want to listen to people that are politically correct, people that are pussies, people whose sole existence in life is to watch a little hourglass, the sand go through the hourglass, so they can say, great, now only four years till, or till I could retire, 3.2 years till I could retire. No thank you. Good for Amber Athey. She named names. She's standing up. The owners and the co-workers at The Spectator said that they had been totally in her favor. They said they laughed at the tweet and promptly deleted angry emails about her Kamala tweet saying, we stand for free speech. We, we fight against censorship at The Spectator. Good for them. More broadcast executives would do well to follow that advice. Get a set of balls. Stand by your people. If there's something controversial and someone doesn't like it, defend them. Now, if it's overly racist, that's a different story, but it's not. But if you pay these people, you put a, a paid Amber Athey to be opinionated, to provide her opinion, to be compelling, to be entertaining, to be opinionated. And when she is opinionated and, and compelling and entertaining, you fire her. Broadcasting as we know it is dead. It's never coming back. Why is podcasting taken off? Because we don't have to deal with bullshit corporate program directors that think they know it all. We don't have to deal with a general manager that said, well, gee, you know, you shouldn't say that. We don't like that. You know, you, you trying to make it a little more mild. We don't have to deal with that bullshit. And by the way, in 25 years of conducting nationally syndicated broadcast maneuvers with the Cigar Dave Show, I had two program directors 
both within probably the last five years we did the show, that had a complaint about something. The first one was from a small market station saying, calling me frantically, actually called my affiliate manager, leaving a message, frantic message saying, Dave said this on uh, something on, on Saturday, and, and we've gotten loads of complaints about it, and we're going to have to cancel the show if he continues to say this. I can't even remember what it was. So my affiliate manager calls me, plays me the message, and said, what did you say? I look back and said, wait, let's play. Let's play the, uh, the recording. What I said was very innocuous. But the person who complained, the listener who called and left a message on the program, by the way, there weren't tons of people. It was one person. But the program director panicked. And the one person said something that I didn't even say, so we sent the audio portion to the program director, and I called the program director personally against my affiliate manager's wise advice. And I said, listen, before you spout off and say, we're going to have to cancel the show, or you said this, why don't you first say, can you tell me, can you send me audio? We had a listener that said this. I just want to hear it. Had he done that, we would have sent it to him. And you know what he would have said? I, I listened to it. The listener was full of shit. And then by exact, oh, we had tons of listeners. And I said, how many? Well, it was one. So I said, you're going to get all worked up over one? That means there are probably thousands that liked what I said that didn't complain. And I ended the conversation by saying, look, grow a set. And if that, you're not happy with anything I say, I've got another station in the market, which was true, that was a bigger station in the market, but I'm a loyal person. I've always believed in loyalty because I was a, a, an owner of a station where I had programs pulled for me because syndicators weren't loyal. And I said, I believe in loyalty. And I told him, I said, look, I've held them at bay. They call me every month, call my affiliate manager, say we're a better station, and they are. But you guys carried me early on. And I believe in loyalty. He said, okay, no, 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 you're, you're right. And then I had another program director call me. Actually, correction, it was a general manager. And I stated something. And he said, you know, I, I just didn't like that. And um, that, that just goes against my Christian values. And I, what I said wasn't even that out of the blue. And I said, let me do yourself a favor. I said, you don't have to worry about it anymore because effective immediately, even though we have to give you 30 days, I'll let you out early. We'll, we'll release you from our affiliate agreement. Again, I had another station ready to go. Negotiating, always have a plan B. Every good five-star knows that. And I did. And when I tell you the, the, the stumbling and mumbling and, 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 and uh, uh, hesitations and pauses that went on, not realizing that I would call his bluff, I said, listen, you don't want the show? No sweat. Got another station in the market, and I'll end it now. Don't worry about 30 days. I, I got to give you 30 days. You want to run something else. I sat back and listened to him grovel for the next 10 minutes. People need to have a set of NADs. Stand by your employees. Podcasting has exploded. Broadcasting is dead. It's never coming back. Nobody wants to listen to a morning show with 42 fucking minutes of commercials, 10 minutes in a row. It's time for, it's two minutes past the hour, it's, it's uh, six past, we give you, new, we give you uh, traffic uh, six past the hour, let's check in for this traffic report, followed by six minutes of commercials. Then it's 
12 past, we give you the weather. Today, it's going to be sunny, chance of rain later this afternoon. Current temperature, 75 degrees. And then you got to listen through another eight minutes of commercials. Note to all the programming executives and broadcast executives. If you're too fucking stupid to figure out that people are tired of listening to 40 minutes of shit during your morning shows or afternoon shows, and you can't figure out why they're not listening and why they're going to podcasts, then you don't belong, number one, overseeing a station or overseeing a programming lineup. And do yourself a favor. Go work at Walmart or McDonald's by saying, would you like to supersize that? Because that's probably where you're more suited. I can't tell you the number of executives. And I go to various industry conferences, conventions still, that bitch and say, we can't figure out why we have this audience erosion. We can't figure out why they're going to pie. We can't figure it out. And I always raise my hand and I say, it's very simple. Why don't you stop running 40 minutes of shit, of commercials, incessant commercials, why don't you run 48 minutes of content and maybe 12 minutes of commercials staggered? That would probably, number one, help you. Number two, where's the creativity? All the people that are creative are now in the podcasting world, the podcasting universe. You have an idea, you do a show. Trust me, when I first started the Cigar Dave show, the number of program directors that laughed in my face saying, who the hell's going to listen to a show about cigars and the alpha male lifestyle? I got it all the time. And then all of a sudden, when some stations started carrying us and became successful, both from, a, from an audience and advertising perspective, it started to grow and grow and grow and grow. But the number of people that laugh. Now, today, you want to start a show about anything? You want to show, start a show about Chinese water torture treatment? You get a microphone, you record into your computer, you post it, boom, congratulations, you're a podcaster. Now, there's a difference between quality podcasting, entertaining podcasting, and amateur hour podcasting. Everybody can do a show about anything. The question is, are they entertaining, informative, and compelling enough to make listeners want to listen not only to that show, but on a regular basis? The answer is, most of them are none of the aforementioned. They're boring, they're amateur, they get 20, 30 listeners, but good for them. I say, fine. People said to me, geez, General, you know, all these people are doing these cigar shows. My answer is, fine. I've always concentrated on one thing, worrying about my content and my audience. That's it. That's it. I know I got on a tangent. But the reason I got on the tangent is because today's broadcasting industry, when you have a creative person like Amber Athey, part of a morning show, who clearly is compelling, entertaining, informative, great opinions, that's what you want. And then you cut her off at the pass because she had a tweet that you found somewhat remotely not racist, but could be construed or had the appearance, please. Grow a set cumulus. That is why, once again, the broadcasting industry is dead. The executives that are in it, the general managers, the sales managers, everyone I talk to tells me the same thing. We're just hoping this industry lasts, business lasts long enough until we can retire. That is factually correct. Sergeant Steve, you were a very high-ranking programming executive in multiple markets for... 
Clear Channel and iHeart. Mm -hmm. Would you dispute anything I just said? No. And yet, here you, how long have you been gone now from the world of corporate broadcasting? About nine and a half years. Is that long already? Almost a decade? Yep. Wow. And nothing has changed. It's just gotten worse. Worse, yes, absolutely. Right. And your job was to always create compelling, entertaining programming, working with the talent, which I know you did on a daily basis. That's what they allegedly told me my job was. Allegedly, you're right. That's correct. That's allegedly your job. And then when you do it, they're like, well, maybe not so much. We, we don't want that. And it got to the point where it's now they're just cutting. Everything is syndicated. Nothing is local. You know, when you wake up in the morning, I always say this. You know, if you're a sports fan and your team's played the night before, for example, let's use Tampa. Tampa's not a basketball town. Tampa's a hockey town. Tampa's a football town. Tampa's a baseball town. Do you want to hear about the NBA? No. Do you want to hear about what the Lakers are doing, what the Knicks are doing? Not really. You want to know what the Buccaneers, the Rays, the Lightning are doing. Same thing for news talk stations. Most local uh, news talk stations now are live local from 5 a.m. to 9 a.m., where they have news, talk, interviews, loaded with commercials. Then 9 o'clock rolls around, and there could have been the biggest fire or explosion in the, in the history of pick whatever city, and instead of having a live local show that can talk about it and get callers' response and get passion from, from their listeners, they go into a syndicated program from Texas or from Tennessee or from California that doesn't talk about anything in your local community where nobody gives a damn about what's happening in California or some other state. They haven't figured that out. Note to Bob Pittman. Note to Mary Berner. Note to Caroline Beasley. Note to David Field. You have destroyed the industry in which you now play. It's never coming back. The industry is dying. It's on its deathbed. There's no creativity, not a lick, not a morsel. And that's why every one of you now is jumping on the pod West, uh, podcasting bandwagon. Oh, we've grown revenue 110% in podcasting. Yeah, you went from $10 to $20. You know the action is podcasting, yet you still haven't made the adjustments to your terrestrial broadcast stations. That, my friends, is the definition of pathetic and dumb. Nobody ever said there were rocket scientists running broadcast companies, especially on the radio side. And it goes on the TV side as well. All right, I have rambled enough. That is one thing that I find absolutely so cathartic, is that if I can't want to get on a tangent now with podcasting, I can. I'm not limited. I'm not constricted. And I know I receive many emails from, from our listeners saying, I love the fact, General, you let it loose, you tell it like it is. I don't hold back anything. Life is too short to sugarcoat anything. Don't hold back. Be truthful. Be genuine. Be who you are. That goes in any walk of life, in any profession. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast, today's show. As always, make sure that you give us a five-star review for The Cigar Dave Show, and also subscribe to The Cigar Dave Show and uh, Brother Bold Alpha Podcast. We're going to be doing more weekly spirit segments on the Bold Alpha Podcast with Tommy D starting next week, so you'll want to catch that as well. Don't forget, email CigarDave at CigarDave.com. Follow me at Twitter. 
at Cigar Dave Show, Facebook Cigar Dave, Instagram Cigar Dave. Cigar Dave, the general, saying, Mayor Humidor, always be full. Mayor Cutter, always be sharp. Mayor Ashby, extra, extra long. Semper Delictatio, always pleasure. Long live the alpha. Make masculinity great again. Screw the enemies of pleasure. Screw the snack police. Live it up.